morning. Welcome to the Sober Heathen Podcast. I am the Sober Heathen, Scott. <clears throat> um, the voice is a little raspy and fighting change of season. Um, and also uh, lost a uh, lost a pretty damn good friend. Uh, uh, he he was like a brother. Uh, that lost him to an OD yesterday morning. Just found out last night. Um, you know, <clears throat> you have real brothers, and then you have friends that you've known for years and years and years. I didn't know Eric for years and years, but uh, uh, being in treatment together. Uh, being in the same group with the same counselor together, uh, then living and sober living together and being roommates and sober living together and uh, staying in, in pretty decent contact. Um, well, we're both, you know, when we parted ways and I moved away from uh, the treatment uh, center city. And um, <clears throat> it's really, there's just a lot going on. I, I, I wanted to do a podcast last night and talk about some things, but I was pretty fired up. So I chose not to. I, I, I chose to wait until this morning, but I don't feel a whole lot different. Um. I will put the link in the description if you're um, wherever you're listening to this um, to the podcast that Eric came on and we talked. Um, I only started, I only got into just a few short seconds when I tried to watch it last night. Uh, I was jamming to the theme music. I was really excited to have him on. And I, I just couldn't watch any farther than that. I just, I, I was, I was happy that he was talking, uh, you know, willing to come on and tell a story. Uh, and I'll show some things here in a second. Um, actually, I'll probably just show them now. Um, so there's, he's, Eric was the type of guy who has a super deep voice. And when you look at him, I'll show you here in a second. Um, you know, he he was a guy that you're like, well, he's a badass looking dude. You know? um, let's see here. Uh, this is just a picture. I mean, it's a side view. I don't need to show a lot more than that, but might show a couple other things. Um, just his real deep voice had this demeanor about him, you know, uh, real tough dude. Here's a video of us in uh, sober living. You could tell that he was super impressed with uh, what I'm doing. It's a Mortal Kombat sound. And, uh, but that smile, man, it's a giant teddy bear. Um, Really, really good stuff. And um, anyway, I'm kind of hopping around here and 
Um, there we go. So to get to the meat and potatoes, now that I've been stumbling around for 20 minutes and anybody listening on audio, um, it's didn't see a video and didn't see a picture. So to get to get to the crux of this, um, you know, this is a guy that spent, I don't know the exact time. Okay, so it's been over a year since we were in treatment together. He put himself into treatment. He wanted to make changes and watch the video in the interview where he talks a little bit about his story. Um, this dude didn't set out to become addicted. He was a young boy. Uh, one of the things that started his um, addiction was uh, being severely burnt over a, a large portion of his body. <clears throat> and when he tells the story, he talks about being around the bonfire and, and the gasoline and it catching him and reaching out for family and he could see the skin dripping off his arm. So this little boy had to endure that. And then, you know, um, if you know anything about burns, um, which I do not, I'm only going by what he told me <clears throat> and what I've seen, but, you know, uh, surgeries and being wrapped like a mummy and then having to go to school and in the story that he can tell because it's his better than I could tell it. Um, I could see little Eric standing in this assembly where everybody was gathered and they talked about, you know, why he was all wrapped up and stuff and how terrifying that could be for a little man and, you know, the painkillers and the things that they have to give you in order to get through this terrible process of being burned, um, you know, and the trauma that comes with the, all this stuff. So, you know, there was a lot of things that this dude had to overcome and then, you know, then uh, drugs get involved. And then, you know, when you're an alcoholic or addict, um, then the justice system loosely, use that word, um, gets involved. And then all hell can really break loose. You can really get buried in a hurry when those, um, when those idiots get involved. And they're not all idiots, but I am pissed off today and I'm going to say what's on my heart. And this dude, we, we've been talking and he's he's thinking about, you know, this upcoming sentencing that he has for this very old, these very old charges. And I said, you know, well, what's your lawyer saying? And the best his lawyer could say, well, you could get probation. Or you could get six months to a year. When you've put over a year in in your treatment, now I, I I want to make this clear too because, and I'm not trying to assume that people are going to listen to this and say um, idiotic things, but I've heard people say a lot of idiotic things. Eric put himself into treatment. He finished treatment. He went into sober living. He found a great job as an electrician, making really good money, found a house, bought a truck, um, finished out one of the sentencing for some charges that he got involving drugs. Um, this is a nonviolent guy. He finished that probation, and then he had this, this other thing hanging out there. And that can weigh a lot on a person. I know from experience because you don't know what 
the judge is going to do. You don't know what the judge is going to say. Um, you don't know what the prosecutor is going to say. And I'm probably off a little bit when I say this, but if, you know, the judge had a bad morning, that can change things. And when you're looking at probation six months to a year, those are pretty, pretty vastly different uh, outcomes. And you go to jail for six months or more, you aren't going to have that job. You aren't going to have that house. You aren't going to be having that truck and making those payments. That is a lot to add on to somebody. So after Eric and I went, were in treatment together and then on sober, sober living together, um, Eric relapsed and he put himself back in sober living. He went back and was getting therapy. This wasn't a guy that was sitting by feeling sorry for himself. Um, he was feeling bad and negative and very down. But he was not feeling sorry for himself. He wanted to keep fighting. And things just kept piling up and piling up. And, you know, um, and the weight of this just got to him. And I'm really pissed off because I don't know why the court systems get to take their time on things because we don't get to take our time on paying our fines or showing up to court when it's inconvenient for us. And they let these things linger out there. Well, I know why it is. It's because they're loaded with cases um, on the days that they do work. And they and they're overwhelmingly drug and alcohol charges. And one would think that after how long now of us doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, that the justice system is doing a piss poor job um, on this war on drugs and alcohol or whatever you want to call it. They're doing a piss poor job. But what they're doing isn't creating a better world for anybody. Certainly not the person um, who didn't start out, who starts out with nothing falls into an addiction and then is trying to work their way out of it. Uh, if you have money, you get out of it pretty easy. And that's just not a fair thing. And sometimes you don't. I get that. There's always an exception to every rule. But being around what I've been around now for how long I've been around it, People come into work and they're just getting buried. I have talked to people who have never been, um, I've had a counselor that left the, again, quote unquote, justice system to become a counselor and take a huge pay cut because he was sick and tired of seeing people getting chewed up and spit out by the system. And I've heard that more than once but I know that guy very well. He could have been doing very well for himself. He's ex-military. Um, he's a very smart dude. Um, he did a lot for me um, in Harbor Hall when I was there. Um, him and John Duty, who I've talked about in my podcast before. Um, you know, I won't say his name, but, uh, you know, he could have stuck around in the system and, and made more money. 
and and not have to go in and sit with a bunch of alcoholics and addicts every single day and try to help them. He didn't have to do that. That's a good person. So as I said in a tweet um, yesterday or last night when I was going through it, um, trying to deal with um, trying to deal with, you know, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe that he did this. I can't believe it. Um, I say, but no editing, right? That's That's been my thing from go. Um, I was talking about the court system and I, you know, a, we are, we are failing people. And by we, I mean, as, as a society, we have people that automatically assume that alcoholics and addicts are living under a bridge or people that just believe that's what it is. And then when they, it does come into their circle. And again, I'm speaking from experience and stories that I've heard. So I don't know everything. Um, unlike some people who sit on their horse and try to tell you, they know exactly how you can recover. I do not do that. But from my experience and the stories that I've heard, alcoholics and addicts are everyday people. Uh, they're more everyday than a lot of people realize. We can do better by not punishing them and burying them farther into debt, giving them a record um, I'm not going to sit here and go all libertarian on you, even though I am. Um, that will completely distract from what my actual point is. Putting people in a cage for addiction is not the answer. Whether you believe addiction is a disease or not is irrelevant. Right now, our choice is to take control completely of their lives with a system that doesn't know what the fuck it's doing, forcing them into programs, um, forcing them in to things that aren't helping address the actual issue. Um, we need to start talking about it more. And we need to get judges and lawyers educated um, And it needs to happen 10 years ago. You know, whether you believe in the disease model, um, like I said, or not, um, there's information out there to talk about how that came about. And on one hand, I like it because without it, I wouldn't have gotten treatment paid for like I did. Um, or maybe I would have. I'm trying not to spin off into a rant about policies and things like that, but This dude that put that amount of work in and effort in didn't need to live under that weight of when you when you sit and you think about it and you try to put yourself in this in his position and I know for some people it'd be hard to do but here I am as Eric a guy who 
spent all this time in treatment and sober living and is paying out of pocket for more therapy, paying because he makes too much money, paying out of pocket to go stay in sober living and paying rent for the place that he has and his truck payment and all these things. And your life could still be flipped upside down because of a person in a bathrobe decides that they want to marry you again. Anyway, so today I want to remember Eric, a brother from another mother, a guy who deserved better, a better shot at things, a guy that was behind the wall from a very early age. Um, if you did listen to this in my rambling, um, you know, I know this wasn't the best podcast, um, but I needed to get something out there. Please watch the video of uh, Eric and I talking. Listen to his story. Um, that would do a great honor to him. Um, and um, let, let's let's work together if we can, and let's try to change things. That's what I want. I want the next Eric to not live with that weight. So. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk soon.